Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. I am joined by my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hi. Today we are joined by J.C. Tetrialt, if I said that correctly. You did. And, not close. Uh, <laughs> not close. Not even close. And uh, the, the real would be uh, Jean-Claude, but uh, not Van Damme. Trillium Brewing was launched in 2013 on Congress Street in Boston's Fort Point neighborhood by husband and wife team J.C. and Esther Tetrialt. They started with three employees. Since then, Trillium has grown to multiple locations in the Boston area and has garnered many national and international accolades. Each year, they are near the top of Rate Beer's best breweries in the world list, clocking in at number three in 2019. Along the way, they have never lost sight of who they are and what's important to them. Welcome to the Beer Hour, JC. What's going on, man? Hey, John. Hey, Maria. Good to see you. Well, thank you, uh, thank you very much for uh, taking the time out and joining us today. I basically wanted to kind of start this off and uh, jump to the point of uh, take us back. I mean, do you remember that first craft beer that you had that kind of made you kind of go, wow, this is something... I want to quit my other job and get into. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, you know, the, the the first beer that ever sort of like made me stop and pay attention was actually Guinness uh, in college. And, um, you know, I'd be the guy on the weekends picking up a four pack of pub, pub draft cans or everybody was picking up a 30 rack of whatever, you know. <laughs> so right. Everybody, everybody looked at me like I was crazy, like very poor, uh, very poor investment, JC. You're only getting four beers instead of 30. Doesn't make any sense. Um, but for, for quite a long time, I've always, I've always kind of, um, preferred flavor and quality over quantity. I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know you were a Guinness guy. That's kind of where I got my start. That's, that's very interesting. Of course it, you know, evolved crazily from there. Once I finally moved into Boston after college and was just, you know, went deep into Belgian style beers, um, spending a lot of time at the public house in Brookline and, um, kind of just went down the rabbit hole from there. So, I mean. So you would say probably that that point when you were hitting Brookline and everything, was that kind of the aha moment? Like, hey, I, I want to do this myself? No, I mean, to me, brewing still seemed like this kind of very mysterious process that was made by these huge factories and and uh, and the best ones were from faraway places. And yeah, I just it seemed like this world apart because, I, you know, I studied biology and biochemistry in college and my career is in clinical research. Right. So, um, you know, brewing being a manufacturing business, I never even considered home brewing as an option. I was always, you know, I was in the kitchen all the time, even in high school, thought I was going to become a chef um, until I learned what that life was like, uh, <laughs> working nights and weekends and never seeing your family. So, um, but I, I, you know, I didn't get into, into home brewing until um, my late twenties or so. Yeah. Really? Okay. And then, I mean, at that point, once you got into the homebrewing, you, you guys got pretty, pretty deeply vested into it and jumped forward. And, and that's when you were like, this is, you know, we could turn this into a, a business. Well, I, I, I think pretty much every home brewer kind of looks at, you know, after trying their first beer oh, of and course. just kind of right. immediately wonders, boy, I wonder if I could turn this into a business. Um, so of course that, that happened for me, but I, you know, I quickly pushed that stuff aside. I had, you know, I had a good career going, right. um, had a, had a, had met recently met the, the woman I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. Didn't really want to risk too much. Everything was going on a good track. Uh, then we got married, uh, at a vineyard in Connecticut and that was started by a husband and wife team. And they started that as sort of like their semi-retirement project. And boy, they could not have looked any happier with what they were doing, you know, this incredible vineyard and winery on uh, an old, uh, airplane hangar, um, just, just so pastorally beautiful. And, um, quite honestly, the thing that made me change my mind from being scared to start a brewery to, boy, I think I should do this. What was fear? I, uh, was afraid I was going to spend the vast majority of my life not doing something that I was incredibly passionate about and have to, kind of exercise a lot of my creative, you know, freedoms. Right. So, um, I didn't know if I would even have the energy or even be alive you know, later in life to pursue a dream. So 
I think I'd say fear is probably the biggest motivator that a lot of people have. And that's why we decided to kind of just even start doing the research to understand what it would take to open a brewery. And then once I, John, I think John Maria, I think, you know, me, once I start um, get in, getting interested in something, Absolutely. I just <coughs> dive. You, dive head, you dive head in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, yeah. agree, I agree with the fear. It's something that held me back for a while. I mean, that's why I kind of hung out home brewing since 2008 to 2013, just kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, this is fun. This is something I do at my house. You know, all my buddies drink the beer on the weekends and, you know, we enjoy the beer, but it was definitely something that was hanging in the back of my mind. Do I really want to invest the money? Is this something that, you know, if I put all this money in time and effort in, what if it doesn't work out? You know, what happens to my family? What happens to my kids? You know, what happens at that point? And it definitely, it was fear at that point, but it, you know, for me, it was a nudge from, Another uh, person in the industry, Joey Redner, that kind of like, hey, take the shot, come work for me, you know, l- leave your great paying job and come work for ten fifty an hour and start at the bottom and and, and learn all there there is to the business and then see, you know what I mean? And that's how I that's how I took my jump in into the business. Um, it sounds like you guys kind of started on the same path with home brewing, and then you guys took this jump and you opened in in, in the Fort Point neighborhood. Um, what was that like? I mean, when did you guys open that and how long were you guys there in the four point? Yeah, I, I was probably searching for a location and I really wanted to be right in Boston. I pretty much written off that the possibility because of real estate prices and how much money we had, you know, Esther and I put all of our, basically our life savings to that point, our retirement money in, into what Trillium was going to become. So I must've seen 50, 60, 70 different locations, you know, getting up, getting up at 4.30 in the morning with my real estate agent going to go check out a, you know, a bunch of sites before we're going into work. And it wasn't until uh, uh, finding this spot in the Fort Point Channel neighborhood in Boston, uh, you know, just across, you know, just over the bridge from the channel uh, from the financial district. And I couldn't believe that there was an available location with what I thought was plenty big uh, of a spot. Um in my price point to be able to, you know, make it even a possibility. It was the biggest piece of shit building you ever <laughs> seen in your life. Hey, I actually, uh, I actually was there, I think March of 2014. Um, yeah. I think you guys had, I think you had been around uh, six, seven months at that point. And I swung through cause I was going to go ski up in, uh, up in Vermont and uh, came by and made it a, made it a, a point to stop by, grab some growlers, and it was this, was like in this alley with one person in at a time line, and, you know, you get whatever cans or growlers you could at the time, and then you filed out single file one person at a time, and I was like, man, this is, I mean, this is cool, though. I mean, I, I wasn't even open at that point, and we were working on the location, but I was like, man, this is, this is awesome, and then uh, it's just, it's cool to see where you guys started to what you guys are now, but I mean, having that location, it's like, that's where you guys birth the birthplace of this whole, this whole process, this whole business was at. I mean, I'm sure you guys have some fond memories out of there, but I mean, you probably outgrew that place pretty fast. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, we outgrew it the, the day that we opened. Uh, oh, yeah. It took so long. It, it took so long. Um, we, we kind of, you know, spent all our money and we had to, I had to keep calling up the, the brewing equipment manufacturer and canceling orders for tanks. Right. Um, and we opened with, uh, you, you know, uh, a totally hacked up dairy tank as a mash ton. That right. I, I remember that. Piece of, yeah. Perforated piece of stainless steel for the false bottom. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty janky. <laughs> we, you know, we, we, I had to brainstorming with the, with the brewery tank uh, fabricator. Now, how else can we shave money off, off these tanks, which we ended up with two fermenters when we first started. And, um, I said, well, what did you take? the exterior cladding and the insulation off. Could you, could you shave off some money doing that? And we started with two fermenters with just jackets and no insulation. It was, Oh it crap. Was pretty I didn't shit. know that. Oh, wow. yeah, I didn't know pretty, that. Wow. Yeah, it, was, it was, it was pretty bad. We were, we were definitely out of money. Um, so we were, you know, it was, it was kind of like the, you know, put everything on the credit card paid off at the end of the month with the revenue that you get from the tap room kind of thing. It's not even really a tap room. It was just, Dollar fills. There was no, you, you know, it, it was free samples and 
and growler fills of like one or two options. It was pretty bare bones at the at the beginning. No, I, yeah, I remember. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously the, the offerings you guys still had had at that point, even even if they as limited as they were, they were still amazing. But right, I, I could see working within the confines and space that you had that. You know, you're just trying to make money at that point to get back what you would put into the business. Um, yeah, but- and, and I would say, you know, when we first started as well, it's, it, I think the perception is you need super fancy equipment to make the best possible beer. And it's, um, it certainly helps, but I think that if you stay within the bounds or within the limits and really explore um, what is possible with the equipment that you have and really focus on that and not, not try to get it to do too much. Um, you're, you're still going to be, be able to make some pretty incredible beer. No, listen, I mean, there's plenty of people, like, like you said, I think, you know, you having super fancy equipment helps. But I know plenty of people working on bare bones equipment that make some great beers as well. Yeah. Um, how, how long were you guys in the Fort Point before you expanded into Canton? Yeah, so we, we let's see. Um, so we opened, so we signed the lease in Fort Point in January 2011, and it took until March 2013, so over two years to get open. It was, it was a tough sledding. Yeah. You know, we had to get zoning variants and blah, blah, blah. It was like, a, you know, and, and Boston's a big town. They weren't prepared to deal directly with an owner. It right. didn't have a lawyer necessarily, you know, all, all those things. So it took us a really long time to get through all that. But once we did open, it was sort of like, you know, immediately, immediate sellout, immediate sellout. And we quickly were putting that money back into paying off credit cards, but also buying more tanks and expanding and hiring more, uh, hiring a team. And it was pretty evident even at that point after we had uh, five 10 barrel fermenters and six 20 barrel fermenters that we, we just we needed another space pretty quickly. So um, we opened our Canton facility in uh december 2015 um and that was sixteen thousand square feet um which was still our current brew house which we were able to squeak out 50 barrels a turn out of that and we started with 90 barrel fermenters there right which i could never have imagined using or making a 90 barrel plus <laughs> batch um, but i always knew that we could put a 30 barrel batch into a into a 90 and still be fine but can't go the other way around no so right i'm really exactly. glad that i made, I made that decision what um I mean, I mean that's a pretty fast jump within two years. I mean, it, it, we were still in that time period where I think cr- the craft brewing scene was still on this massive Exploding. explosion. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, it, it, and yeah. that definitely helped propel you guys forward. I know you guys. I don't think you have the Fort Point location anymore, or do you still have that one? No, the uh, the Congress Street location. We uh, we let the lease expire on that. Maybe only about six six months ago, we were right. you, only using it really for a handful of experimental batches a year that we we would brew there, right? And uh, some barrel aging, but um, you know we've really been focused on kind of consolidating. Our, we're we're in like seven different buildings at right. this point. So right. I mean, you, we, you, we got, you let, let, we got to consolidate. Yeah. I mean, you have uh, you have Canton, you had Fort Point, uh, you were at uh, you had the farm which we're going to get into. And then you had uh, Greenway. the Greenway and then you had um, Fenway and then yep. you had uh, the restaurant. I mean, yeah, I mean, you guys, I mean, Boston takeover for sure. I mean, it, it's amazing to watch. I mean, it's, it absolutely is amazing. Um, but I know you guys have a lot of support. I mean, how is that as, as a scope, as a business owner, to go from what you were at Fort Point to now having these seven locations? I mean, wh- I mean your staff must be pretty large but must be you know it's still a lot to handle as a business owner coming from what you did to what you are now yeah i mean that's uh as much as we've seen um things evolve that that's that's probably the biggest evolution that we've had you know going from uh a 10 barrel batch to uh to 120 130 barrel batches that's sort of nothing in comparison to what it what it took to evolve from a handful of folks and me working full-time another job Esther as well to us being kind of fully dedicated um and having a team of over 300 people so it is it is a very big change from where we started and there's tons of uh tons of painful lessons along the way um 
but boy, they really helped us. Those those uh, mistakes really helped us become uh, what we are today. I, I just I want to give the listeners a, a kind of an understanding of what when you when you're talking barrels. So when in the brewing industry, a a barrel or a U.S. barrel is 31 gallons. So when JC is talking about a 10 barrel batch, he's talking basically about making 310 gallons of beer back then versus now. If you're doing a hundred barrel. You're not making three thousand one hundred gallons of beer. I mean, it's it's a massive jump in, in in production. Just to kind of give a scope for that, um, I know you you know we've talked long distance uh, a long you know a long time about different things, and and I wanted to speak upon something that you described Trillium as a New England farmhouse brewery. Well, you know what exactly does that mean to you and and for everybody out there? Yeah, that that was you know being a um well, we always had to put the word inspired in there when we first started, right? So a, a New England farmhouse inspired brewery, it's kind of hard to be a, a farmhouse brewery. Right, right, right. In, in the, the middle, middle of the city. city in, this, <laughs> in, in this old crappy concrete building, you know, with right. a loading dock that faces the street. So, um, you know, that, that, that was sort of always our founding vision. And, and it was kind of like, I hope one day we will be able to kind of realize that dream of um, uh, of growing our own ingredient. Um, and uh, using uh, using native microbes to ferment the ferment the beer and and actually discovering what that might taste and smell like because um, it hasn't been done yet you know right uh, save for maybe some uh, some of the Allagash beers uh, some of the Allagash bullshit beers so um, that that was a always our founding vision and uh, helped to guide us to where we wanted to be. And of course it's evolved tremendously over time as we understood the scope at what that vision actually entailed. Um, we, we did not have a farm left to us by our family. You know, we didn't come from legacy anything. Right. So we, we had to have the dream and then slowly understand the, and grow the path toward what would make that possible. And along the way, um, finding out what the, the growth and the scale of the company needed to be to allow us to not just realize that dream, but also enjoy life along the way as well. So, you know, you, you can't work 70, 80, 90 hour weeks and ask your team to do the same for low pay right. to kind of get there. So we had to get big enough to be able to afford all of those things um, to make that, that founding vision possible. So no, I hear you. Um, I mean- we're, we're well on our way. Uh, yeah, I, I would absolutely say so. And, and now, now speaking upon, I mean, like being a farmhouse, now you actually do have a farm, the one in Connecticut. I mean, talk to me about the farm. I mean, what do you guys grow there? What, what, is, the, what is the future of the farm? What's, what's the plan for the farm? How, how is this all wrapped into the overall business uh, scope? Yeah, sort of, sort of like um, the, the, the leap from homebrewing to farming, uh, uh, sorry, home brewing to commercial brewing, and then you know, growing a couple plants on right. your balcony <laughs> to, <laughs> to full on farming. To, Let's grow a couple pepper yeah. plants in the back uh, bal- back balcony. Yeah, to now right. like it's, a full full blown farm. I mean, I mean, now you've taken this scope on. I mean, wh- what are you guys growing there right now? Yeah, so um, we I, we kind of took cues from when we first started um, brewing to make sure that. We were going to be able to take bite sizes and kind of learn and grow from there instead of making big giant mistakes. So we we actually have a uh, you know a kind of big master plan that will um, help us to understand and guide the next steps for it's a 163 acre farm, which is pretty big for for the New England area. That's big. Um, That's big. Yeah. So we're growing um, mostly vegetables for the food programs at uh, our Fort Point location as well as our um, upcoming Canton restaurant as well. So uh, I do have I do have some, uh, actually, what I'm going to be doing right after this call is going back down there and planting some corn. Got about five acres of uh, three different varieties of heirloom corn that's going to get planted um, today. So I'm pretty excited about that. I, we've I, got about six or six acres or so um, under uh, vegetable production. I, I got a question about the corn. Are you going to be cutting swaths through the corn and then be inviting people up uh, to the farm at like 11, 12 o'clock at night when well, it's pitch black outside? Thunderstorm and, happening. And then running off into the distance after telling them a, uh, a chilling story about the groundskeeper? <laughs> that, that, is the, that is the plan. I, uh, I don't know that I, you, you probably, you're, yeah, you're old enough to remember the movie Children of the Corn. Of I, course. I of course. Be, 
anything scarier than than walking around a New England farm at night with corn stalks. You I, hear a million different things. Oh, and it's then amazing. Course, there's there's going to be a raccoon or something running around somewhere. So, boy, that's going to be the, the next time we, I freak you guys out. That's probably going to be in the corn area. Well, <laughs> I, I will. I mean... Uh, <laughs> John says he wasn't freaked out. I will take hey, well, let, let's say all the this. responsibility let's say this. I, I, for I've the spent, scary part. I haven't lived in the city my whole life. I, I've lived in the wilderness in Washington State and in the middle of nowhere and been in the pitch black in the forest. So, like, when you did this, but the, the best was the lead-up with the story of the groundskeeper. And then it was, you had thunderstorms in the background. Lightning. And it's pitch black out. And then all of a sudden you just disappear. And I got Jack and Maria just, like, like they had seen a ghost in pale white, like, let's get out of here, you know. And then you call from the house, and it's like, yeah, you guys can come to the house now and stay here. You know, and I'm like, oh. and they're like, no, let's leave, you know. That's probably the first time I've ever, like, pulled a prank on somebody. That's really uh, good. I think it's because, yeah, I think it's because I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sort of, like, joke around and, and make uh, make up a story. But pretty quickly, people were like, "This is dumb. Let's let's get out of here." Oh, you guys kept, kept you guys kept believing it. So yeah, Maria and Jack were like our city kind of people, stuff, and they though. were like, "Oh my gosh, uh, what happened to the lights in the house? They just turned off." <laughs> <laughs> um, it's I don't, okay. I, we're it, the best. Was, we were the best great, guests. Um, I do want to speak during the pandemic. Uh, there was definite food insecurity touched you know millions of Americans that that hadn't hadn't. To worry much about food ever being a shortage before, um, and I think you you've taken part in that by by doing um, baskets for people. I mean, d- with your farm. I mean, how has your farm helped to address the needs of the New England's uh, f- food insecure during that time? Yeah, I mean, we're you know we're we're only so big, and you know, last year was our first year uh, running the farm, and um, you know, it probably would have made sense to just, uh, you know, lay those folks off and say, you know, 2020 is a, is a, it's a total loss and let's try again next year. So, but instead of that, we, we kept our, our farmer on. We actually had a few of our uh, kitchen team stay on and we, we decided to kind of put, put their focus and time and energy and take this as an opportunity to help grow some food for folks that really need it. And like you said, it's sort of in a, in a new way. In, a, in an increased need 2020 more than ever. So while we were still providing a little bit of food to our restaurant, um, it really wasn't very much because of the, uh, of the restrictions in place. Right. And instead donating, donating quite a lot, you know, tens of thousands of pounds of fresh produce to some folks that needed it. And, uh, and one thing that we did learn is lots of these places that help folks that, that, that need, that need food, they never get fresh produce never they only they only get canned boxed dried stuff right and this was this was a a huge help to them and and if you if you never eat fresh produce ever and then you you get to have some it is and particularly if it's like locally grown fresh organic it's it's life-changing yeah it's amazing yeah we're we're continuing that this year as well and it's it's become uh you know it if we say we're going to be part of the community that we're in, um, this is a this is a big part. That's one element of right. of one of the things that we're um, pretty proud to achieve. It's sort of like that right scaling of the impact that Trillium can have, even though if if our brand or our recognition is outsized for what it is. If you said before, you know, we're kind of nationally or internationally recognized, well, we're still a pretty tiny company. Right. You no, know, no, I agree with that. Relative to the world around us, so. But you're, you're not you're, you're not just it. making beer. You're also putting back into the community which is a massive thing yeah but we can recognize that you know i'm i'm not going to be able to we're, we're only going to be able to accomplish so much to kind of focus our our efforts to the local community and where it can actually make an impact to real people's lives is um how we decided to to do that i just had uh one last question for you jay and it's uh i know you guys moved into a new location a much bigger location where are you guys going now like what what's the what's the plan now where are you guys headed with the company and do we have anything exciting to look out for here on the horizon so you know esther and i still you know 100 percent owners for the company we um always envision it being a family-owned and operated company so um we call it for as maria said we, we call it forever home um it is a 20 plus acre site only about 10 minutes from where our first canton facility was and that you know that's a rented place and um, as I'm sure you're well aware, whenever you rent a location, 
it comes with a heck of a lot of an investment, but then you don't own any of it. No, it's like, you don't get any of that back. No. Ever. And, and, and um, you know, at the end of the, the lease period, you could lose your lease or it could go up by a huge percentage as you help to make the, the neighborhood that you're in that much better. And, you know, you, you could price, you could actually price yourself out of your own neighborhood. No, absolutely. So, I mean, I see it here in Miami as well. Yeah. Boy, this is about four years in the making and we're, we're very close to being able to open. Uh, it's a, it's a 20 acre site as a, you know, there's a, there's an old building on the property, but the building is massive. It's 140,000 square feet. It is allows us to have, uh, I think it's right around 600 parking spots here. And there's a, um, uh, you know, a roughly 20,000 square foot restaurant, tap room, uh, pilot brewery, winery, distillery, and uh, 20,000 square foot uh, beer garden outside that we're putting in that faces a five acre lawn for really cool, large events as well. So um, we're going to have to take it one bite at a time here as well. Uh, you know, in phasing this, in phasing this project, we're going to be moving our Canton facility, our production facility over in 2024 into the rest of the square footage here. Right. Um, but getting everybody under one roof, at least in, in this area anyway, um, is going to be just a, uh, a huge weight off our shoulders and, and kind of being so spread out has been very difficult uh, yeah. over the years. Um, so for a lot of reasons, it really, uh, this opportunity allowed us to invest in ourselves and our team. That's amazing. I, I have to say that, you know, the evolution that you've had from starting in the Fort Point neighborhood to where you are now and where you're going to be in the next couple of years it's is incredible. definitely very, I mean, it's, it's inspirational for a lot of us in the industry. I mean, it would be inspirational for a lot of businesses just, you know, from the growth aspect. I mean, it's quite amazing in that you've been able to keep that in-house and as a family and do that all yourselves. Uh, it's, it's, it's an awesome thing, man. And I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time out to uh, join us here on the on the show. Thank you, John. Thank you, Maria. It was fun. Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, then join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. I'm just going to give you guys a little preempt here for our uh, next guest. According to the USDA, Americans consume 50 million burgers per year. The burger business may be more competitive than the beer business. There are over 50,000 brick-and-mortar burger places in the U.S. That does not include food trucks or pop-ups. Each year at the prestigious South Beach Food and Wine Festival, burger places from across America compete in Burger Bash, basically a head-to-head competition for the best burger in the country. Our next guest took home a coveted judges award in this year's competition, which was held two weeks ago on the sands of Miami Beach. I'd like to uh, welcome to the beer hour my friend and weekend food provider, Ted Armas, founder of Ted Burgers. What's going on? Hey, how are we doing, guys? I do want to say congrats again on that uh, judges award, man. That is a uh, that's a hell of a poll, man, for sure. Yeah, uh, thank you, man. Thank you so much. I, it's, it's a very uh, very uh, overwhelming, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, try, I I, uh, I remember when I got nominated second best new brewery in the world back in 2016. It was. Uh, it's a little overwhelming, man. When you get something like that, especially coming from like you know, kind of a humble background, you know, just who you are, kind of reminds me of me. And then all of a sudden, it's like bang, you know, you get this big award, and you're like, um, "What do I do with this thing?" <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh, it's crazy though, man. And uh, I'm super excited for you. Uh, it's definitely a comeuppance, and uh, I think it's well deserved, man. Um, I I kind of want to go in. Where did where did you get your start, man? Where, I know before Ted's Burgers, where were you at? Where were you cooking? Where uh, where, where did this all start at? Um, well, I've been cooking for a very long time now, so um, you know I got my feet wet with the guys over at Fifty Eggs. So I was very fortunate for for my my time there. And then of course I bounced around to a few other places with a Jamie De Rosa, with a Tongue and Cheek on South Beach too as well. And you know. Long story short, from bouncing around, I wanted to do my own thing. And, you know, 
having a backyard dream turn into reality. I never thought that would happen. So, you know, started making burgers in the backyard uh, up in, in the Space Coast in Palm Bay. And we kind of threw a Hail Mary with a buddy of mine. We were like, hey, let's uh, let's see if we could do a pop-up at a, at a, at your, your parking lot, which is the O'Reilly parking lot. So we're like, okay, let's uh, let's give it let's give it a shot. We uh, decided to do a pop up over there at Riley's, and you know, it did great. You know, we st- we did a, we did a, a few little friends and family things here and there at home, and we noticed that we had a pretty big following. We had like one day, like over like 30, 40 cars show up, and the cops on the street were like, "Hey, oh, what's going on here?" Thinking we were throwing like a little block party, and they didn't realize it was just burgers. Yeah, <laughs> they were like, no. oh. They were like, well, you have all these people here just for burgers? I'm like, yeah, just for burgers. So then when we started doing the whole thing at O'Reilly's, we started bringing a lot of uh, attention. And I guess that community up there has never seen something like that as to when it comes to a, as a pop-up. You have your farmer's market. You have oh, little right, things like right, that right. Where, you, uh, where you pop up at. You know, you go to your little stand, but nothing where you have like a, a stand setting, like I say, hot dogs or something, you know, in the middle of a freaking parking lot. That's I mean- what... I, I mean, your burgers are much better than hot dogs, so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't short sell them, man. You know, uh, don't don't yeah. short sell them there. It's amazing. You started here, what, five, six months ago? November, at the end of November. I'm oh, great. yeah. And yeah. It, it started as this this thing, and it just caught fire and, and took off. It blew up. Yeah, it blew up. I mean, it, it, was, it was amazing. I mean, you were selling out burgers in an hour, two hours. You know what I mean? What, why don't you explain to people, I mean... What exactly is a smash burger, brother? Well, for me, a smash burger is, uh, I know a lot of people have their own type of uh, theories or views when it comes to certain things, but when you get a, a patty nice and thin, as thin as possible, and then you create this nice, good sear on one edge, and you basically just scrape off that sear, and when you flip over, you keep it on as quick. This is, this is very, very quick. I mean, the, the sear being that ultimate crust you're looking for. Yes, yes. So, 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 so at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is your ultimate goal is to build that, that crust, that sear. So once you build that good sear and then you just cover some cheese and some good sauce, you're pretty much it. A little bit of salt, of course. I hear everybody thinks I have some type of like secret or some seasoning or something that, you know, what is he doing (laughs) that's, you know, no, no. And at the end of the day, it's just use, use, utilizing what you have. You know, your griddle does phenomenal work. You just, as they do for steaks, what they do for steaks all the time is just right. some salt and some pepper. Sometimes, I mean, you, that's all you really need. But you are you are picky about your griddle, man. Let, let's be oh, honest. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean the 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 platform that you cook on is almost as important as the quality of beef is uh, that you're using as well. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I, it's it's that, that to me is. Uh, I say it all the time that these griddles, these griddles that I have too as well, has been a godsend to me. I say that, you know, it all depends on what it is. Can I do it with other things like Blackstones and a couple of, yeah, it's, it's feasible. So what what, what, is, what griddle are you using right now? It's, uh, they're LA taco carts. They're basically like a cold rolled steel instead of having the Blackstones, which are cold rolled steel with a cast iron enamel. Nice. Kind of nice. like a, kind of like a Dutch oven, but the reverse way they kind of coat it with cast iron. So after a long period of time, they start chipping away. Right. So that becomes, that becomes an issue compared to cold rolled steel is what, 90% of restaurants you see out there use. Right. You might have your your cast iron tops here and there. Some people like their cast iron tops. But I I, I personally prefer, when it comes to burgers, mind you, for I prefer cast iron for everything else. It's phenomenal. I mean, you didn't just ju- jump into this. I mean, you did your homework. I mean, you you actually did some traveling and you did some research. You did some scouting. You went to L.A. Did, tell me about that. Where, where else did you go? I mean, you went L.A. and, and where else to kind of like feel this out to, you know, to really, you know, get your feet kind of wet and see what it was all about. For me, why, why, what, people always ask me, that, like, why, why was it L.A.? Like, they never thought, they never think that L.A. is like, you go there for burgers, you know? So then when I started doing my research, I noticed that L.A. had, let's say, uh, just for for the city itself, they've had over 20, 30 different burger joints, and they were all different. Like, they were all smash burgers. Right. That's another thing that blew my mind. But they were all in their own different way. That's why when people say, oh, how come, you know, why don't you go to New York? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I'm like, well, 
right? I wanted to pick a, I wanted to pick a, an actual state that I know for a fact I could be able to travel around and try a bunch of different burgers. And then lo and behold, they have a great rich history from Apple Pan being one of the, one of the oldest uh, diners that you have out there and they have a very traditional burger. Then you have your more modern styles like Burgers 99 with Geo, Amboy, which is uh, Alvin Kaline. You have, uh, uh, burgers never say die. A lot of these, these are all smash smash burger styles, but they I have their own little twist. Love Hour, for example, is one of my favorites because they're in Koreatown, so they throw a little little Korean influence into it. And they do like a like a kimchi bread and butter pickles that just are out of this world. It's, it's absurd how good they are, you know. And it's it's just those little key factors that you throw in that you just make it a little bit different from everybody else. To me, where like, I guess attracted me to LA. Right. And then, yeah. I, I, again, for me, as I say all the time, the camaraderie I, I, I felt out there, it's just incredible how these, these guys out there just knew each other, worked with each other. Like Mark from Trip Burger was like one of the most opening, welcoming persons or, or guys I've met out there. You know, same thing with Amboy. Even though being a celebrity chef, you would think that these people kind of like brush you off. Right. And yeah. They were right. Very- you, you think they'd be too high profile to like give you any kind of time or space. Yeah, and they yeah. were very welcoming, open arms. Yeah, that's you know? that's awesome. I mean, yeah, and L.A. also being a great city for a lot of great beer as well out there. And, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, so many joints out there. You you talk about the com- camaraderie, and, I you know, we see it in, in the brewing industry, and I think it's an essential part for to help a business or an industry grow is definitely that camaraderie. That is definitely something that you have seen personally firsthand. I mean, uh, between the guys in L.A., I think you, you also did a collab with what uh, – Gotham City as well. Yeah, no, well, yeah, I, I, he needed some help out here, and uh, and, and I just I, I wanted to go help him out. That's is it, for you. That's a perfect example. Like I'm, I'm, mind you, we didn't know each other at all, and just I know for the fact that you know, I I, I hope it you know if it ever happened to me that it'll be reciprocated. You know, God forbid I need some hands or something like that. Then you know somebody's in town that can flip burgers. Then like again, Burger Buff Nick from Burger Buff. He uh he was there at uh, at a. Uh, Food and Wine Fest. Right. And he saw that we were, you know, we were in the weeds. And he was like, hey, uh, you need some hands, you know, like, I'll jump in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think that camaraderie like that is an essential part. I mean, it, you don't see that a lot in a, a lot of different industries where, like, like you said, like, some stranger, you have no idea who they are, sees you're in the weeds and needs your help. And they're like, hey, man, let me, let me jump in and help you out. I mean, I think that's an amazing thing. I mean, you don't see that in a lot of industries. And I think that's... That's really no, awesome, no. man. It's an essential thing moving forward, I think, for a lot of us that more camaraderie would be a, a better thing in a lot of industries. I'm glad that you, you know, you, you've had that opportunity and people have been able to help you out and get that jump start. I mean, especially, you know, like when you're in the weeds and how many people were at the, at the Burger Bash? I, if I can give you a number, I'll be lying to you. But I know, I know at one point we counted in line, there was over, I think, like 110 people. And that line was consistent for a good solid, I would say hour and a half, two hours for the throughout the event. So the event was about, uh, yeah, the event was two hours long. So I would say an hour and a half. And it was two sessions. Yeah. So for every session, no, the second session was just on. I guess since people caught wind of us from the first session, I guess people were telling him, hey, go check out Ted's Burgers, go check out Ted's Burgers. Then second session, it was just, we knew there was going to be game time. So we're like, all right, we just got to crush it out, see how much we can do. And then on top of that, when Bobby Flay went on stage and said, hey, you guys should check out, you know, Ted's Burgers. Uh oh. Uh oh. That was a problem. And, and and of course, it was towards the end of the show. So when we were supposed to close up, we were still cranking out burgers. And then unfortunately, they're the ones who cut off the line because if not, we would have right. stayed there till almost twelve o'clock at night. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk uh, let's talk beer and burgers. I mean, you are here on on Saturday and Sundays and and whenever else we can uh, throw events down and whatnot. I mean, to me, quintessentially. There's nothing better than a nice, uh, a nice craft beer and a great burger, man. I mean, uh, what's your thoughts on that one? Uh, I, 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 I've been saying this since day one. Um, hands down, burgers and beers is uh, goes hand in hand. Like it's, it's by far one of the best combinations you can have. You see it all the time. Look at perfect example for yesterday, Memorial Day. I think I've seen because like I always do my little homework and I see you know how who posts what, and I oh my god, they must have, they must have been over. Five, six, seven hundred thousand posts of just burgers and beers. Oh yeah, I right? mean, I mean, right. I mean, there's nothing better. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, it, I think yeah. it trumps hot dogs and sausages yeah, you know, by, by hands I, down. I, I, I've been, I've been saying it for a long time. Now, of course, there's people who like their hot dogs and whatever. You know, you have your hot dog lovers, but at the end of the day, my, a, a nice cold, a cold crispy beer 
um, with a good burger. It's just, and especially now for the summers, I it, it's just it just reminds me of those nice summer days. You just hanging out by the pool with the family, right? And you have your uncle grilling out, you know, some good old burgers. It's just a very nostalgic and uh, feeling. So it just reminds me of like the good old days. So I, I and especially being out there at Jay Wayfield, just uh, that vibe uh, of being out on a Saturday and Sunday and right. being out front and just and bringing that atmosphere around to us. Well, everybody's having a beer, especially you in Miami. That, that, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You're, you're in the middle of Wynwood. Yeah. You're having a nice gold crispy beer. And at the same time, you have an amazing, like, like surrounding area around you, you know, like, well, it, the backdrop for God's sakes is our stormtroopers, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, and an amazing burger at that. Let's, yeah. uh, <laughs> let, let's talk that man. Let's, uh, let's say, uh, your burger menu on a Saturday or Sunday, what would you pair? Like, run me through that. What, what are your offerings? And I'm going to, I'm going to counter so, that with so what beers can, I think that can, work. We, we keep it very simple. Um, that's the one thing I, 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 when I, when I first built this business, I said to myself, they're like, oh, what do you want to do with burgers? Do you want to go above and beyond? Do you want to go big? And I'm like, no, I want to keep it simple. So, for example, our first one, the one the Burger Bash was, a, it's a homage to uh, George Motes, which is a gentleman who actually is the one who blew up the Oklahoma right. Fried Onion Burger. Right. And that to me was, I fell in love with it. When I first started making him and started like mastering it, and I was like, holy crap. And, of course, right, coming from a person that has severe heartburn, I am not supposed to eat onions, and I will eat those onions all day, every day. Sweet onions with a burger to me pairs perfectly. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I think there's a lot of naysayers about onions out there. Right, Maria? <laughs> they're, they're good when they're cooked. No, no. I, I, and thinly, are, and thinly I, no, they sliced. Are. I mean, I, I, I agree, like caramelized they're onions. Caramelized. On so, yes. so that's another thing that people get confused. So the Oklahoma Fire Onion Burger, since our first burger, um, is actually double as a double beef patty that you, that you caramelize onions into the patty. All right? And then a lot of people get confused because they think it's um, fried. you, you, you fried fry onions. it. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 it's pan fried. Theoretically, right. that's what it is. It's just pan fried. When you're cooking it with um, some beef tallow, at the end of the day, that's what you're using. Right. You're using and the fats from the beef itself. It's yeah. good old, good old American cheese. I know a lot of people are against American cheese. They yeah. call it government cheese. They call it whatever they want. But no, the it's the, day, the best, man. It's, it's the best. It's good for a burger. Absolutely. You know, it's a good melty cheese. And then, of course, a homemade rendition of a. I always say this, and people always tell me specialty sauce as our own sauce so basically it's, it's, it's my rendition of an in-and-out sauce and people always ask why is it why is that i'm not gonna lie i fell in love with it i feel that it's a better version of a big mac sauce and i was like i can make a better sauce a better version of that right so that's what so, so that's all it is and of course modern potato rolls i don't know what it is about it but modern potato rolls still to this day has triumphs i i think i've tried i don't know how many different rolls over brioche or or anything I, else, oh my yeah. god I've, yeah. I've tried it easily over 15 different rolls and you know people trying either from homemade sesame brioche uh combination of both and for just something simple now mind you of course if i was making my own bun that would be different but for something that i can buy that on a mass quantity is definitely right. modern potato rolls that is just perfect i feel like that's the role that pairs well with that style yes. of hamburger too yes yeah. yes it's a perfect size bun too it's uh, a meat to bun ratio might be a little <laughs> off on the meat a little heavy on the meat side right but you know it's just nothing it, wrong it's, with that it's perfect fluffy very yeah. very fluffy and so you know while you got that burger obviously with these surroundings that you're you're here at the brewery and we have a plethora of of beers available i mean um IPAs, lagers, stouts. I mean, I, I would steer definitely away from stouts with a burger. I mean, that's just not my jam. And I don't, I think for your burger, I'm going to lean more towards, you know, a nice Pilsner, a nice American lager. I mean, I would even go as far as maybe even, what do you think, Maria? Uh, Northeast style IPA. But I, I would, you know, like you said, especially in the weather down here and, and now getting towards the summer and more people doing backyard grilling and whatnot in the heat coming up you're going to want something light and enjoyable that is not going to overpower the flavor of the burger with all the time and prep you've put into the burger and the cooking you know everything that's gone into that you want that flavor to shine through you want something that complements it so i would say probably a pills i would go lager or I'd definitely go hop for teacher yeah i mean even an amber ale would work yep you know, just that multi, you know, like that, you know. It plays well with the, with the well caramelization with the, with, yeah, of, the, the of the onions yeah. and the... And, and also a, that potato I'm a roll. Sucker. I'm a sucker for, for crispy boys. Oh, yeah. I'll admit it. I don't know what it is about a burger. It's just that, 
like I noticed, like I love sours. I'm a very big fan of sours. Oh, like, yeah. By far, like, what, what was it? Miami Madness, if I'm yes. correct. Yeah. Which was the guava. It was a guava mango. And yep. passion that, fruit, me, yeah. Oh, my God. That was just... I mean that 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 actually I mean that's a great combo too. I mean that 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 sweetness and that acidity also kind of helps cut through the fat of the burger and the cheese. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really good. It's really good. But the thing is, I feel like that's a little too sour. But for, like like you were saying, I think the pilsner, like a light, right. a nice little light lager. Right. Now, mind you, I personally think as well it goes it goes with the weather. It's uh, another yeah. big thing I've noticed, like especially now for summer. Right. Um, Something light and crispy is, I think, is like the way to go. The, the lighter, the better. Right now, I mean, you know, we're getting towards the nineties, but right, I mean, oh, if, yeah. if you're, yeah, yeah, we're we're, hitting, we're pushing ninety two, ninety three, feeling like a hundred and seven already. Oh, I know, I know, it's crazy, <laughs> it, it's coming too. But like, right, like you, I think you're absolutely right. I think the weather plays a big part of that. You know, if you're eating a burger in December and there's snow outside, you're probably not going to be drinking a lager. You know, you're, you're probably going to be reaching for a porter or, you know, an amber to go along with this, you know. So it's definitely weather indicative. But, you know, summertime grilling, uh, I'm going to say keep it light, you know, and, and let the burger shine like, like yours does. So uh, you're, you're talking about this OKC burger. Is that the one that won at Burger Bash? Yes, yes. Um, I, 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 have to, I have to give credit to the wife. My wife, uh, she definitely push me more towards it because I, you know at first like again when you get invited what do you think about you go above and beyond right? right right like what what can i do and i started thinking about you know in, in my culinary mind i'm like oh i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this. i'm gonna braise this and i'm gonna i'm gonna sous vide this and she looked at me she's like well why 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 are you thinking so so above and beyond so hard right now when you at the end of the day i think they invited you for what you have and then i was like okay so what do you think i should do they're like well i should think you should do your one of your best sellers and i was like really it's like, yeah, just keep it simple. And then, of course, you know, I started doing my little research and started looking at all the burger bashes. And I did notice one thing that they made kind of, kind of mind-boggled me is that, they, of course, everybody was truffle this and truffle that. Always. And a lot of truffle. Truffle ends everything. I think, I, you so, know, the, it's like the, the idea of uh, more is better, right? But really, in simpler is better less, at times. Yeah, yeah less, less is, is better. Less is more. Oh, absolutely. Less is more. At the, end, uh, at the end of the day, people don't realize that simplicity is key. You know, right? Uh, that, 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 it goes. It goes for me when it comes to beer too. I like a very simple, good, clean beer. Absolutely. Like I, 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 I that's, that's that's the one thing I've I've learned. And mind you, coming into the craft beer world, um, you know, I, I've grown. I, I'm very fond of it. But locked very, very heavy into it. And of course, been with you guys for a while now. So I've definitely learned a lot. I right. learned a lot, a lot, a lot into the industry. So, you know, um, the, just comparing that with with the whole with the whole burger scene that's happening right now, uh, I, I, I will have to say this. I'm very appreciative, too, as well, for having this opportunity with you guys. So just putting that out there, too. <laughs> we, we love having you here, and, and we we very much thank you for, you know, everything you've done being here and helping us out as well, man. It's a, it's a great partnership. I, I do have a question. Um, what advice would you give someone who wants to get started in a pop-up or food truck business like you did? Like, I mean, just a quick snippet of, like, what advice would you give to somebody that, that uh, wants to head down that path like you did? Never give up. Yeah. That's, the, that's at, the end, I, at the end of the day, is just never give up. There's been, I've, there's been plenty of times where I've been out to pop-ups and I've made 200 bucks. Right. You know, and I've spent $700 on just buying, I don't know, a bunch of different things. That's when I first started doing it in Palm Bay when nobody knew who we were. You know, people would drive by and they're like, what are you guys doing? You know, and we, it's, it's very, very, very hard. There's plenty of times I wanted to give up. When I got into an accident, I same thing as well. We were getting moving forward to drive into a food trailer. And, and, and that one shot me back 20 steps back. And I was even to a point that I was using, a, you know, a friends and family's uh, vehicle to even get around to do pop-ups. But then I, that was just my mentality. It was just like, you know what? That 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 accident could have been the last day of me. And I was like, you know what? Just never give up. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It, that that's a great mentality. I mean, because if if you gave up, you know, when the going got hard, you you know, you definitely would not be where you're at. I mean, because a lot of people can get defeated and just give up immediately. You know, they face yeah. one hurdle, two hurdle, three hurdle. But I mean, you're gonna, it, you're, gonna, you're gonna face twenty hurdles, right? I mean, if you're not there to see back it through to the end, man, you, you're not gonna get to where you, you know you're not gonna reach your goals. That, that's okay. anything, you know what I mean? But it's definitely like in your industry and in our industry, it's definitely don't give up. 
You know what I mean? Because uh, I didn't, you didn't. There's a lot of success stories out there for people that have not given up. And, and I think that's a great piece of advice that you gave. Um, where do you see yourself going from here? I mean, multiple pop-ups. Are you going brick and mortar? What's the plan down the road, brother? That's, that's that's a scary one because you know we have we have we've been we've been tackled from every single every single angle you could think of now since now we've already caught winds from you know from a lot of people that they're like oh well we want to help you with brick and mortar we want to help you you know expand but at the end of the day it's just taking baby steps where I like to expand of course yeah. where I like to do multiple pop ups that's right. that's the end goal where I like a brick and mortar that's a dream right. you know it, it's just taking the time getting there and not not jumping through the hoops fast enough where, you know, two or three months down the road, you're X amount in debt. And, you know, like I said, anything can happen, anything. So as, as it is right now, I, I will stay for pop-ups. And then I, I am working on a couple of multiple pop-ups because that is the goal, you know, and on top of that catering too as well. That's another big thing. Catering has been has been one of the things that we've been trying to tackle because we've been asked that I don't know how many times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome, man. I, I mean, it's it's the right steps forward. I mean, because you could just you know jump the shark or jump head in and get too far ahead of yourself. I mean, it's better to take it slow. You know, low and slow. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, low and slow is the way to go. <laughs> you know, but um. I want to say, you know, thank you very much for taking the time out to be on here, man. I, I really appreciate you for for being here and, you know, doing what you do with the with the great quality burger that you have. Um, I do want to say that we do have an event coming up in August, beers, breaks, and burgers, and, and your man Ted will be here slinging burgers, even though I, I see that uh, Gotham City is trying to hit me up to slide in, but you are first and foremost up front, and just to give a little bit, of background about it. it's going to be obviously we're going to be doing limited release beers we're going to be breaking wax so what breaking wax is we're opening sports cards trading cards we're going to have some big guys from instagram whatnot they're all going to be here we're trying to turn this thing out and of course you know ted is providing the the goods man and uh it's going to be a banger for sure no i'm excited that's 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 you know me i'm a little kid i love sports cards i love all trading cards you love pokemon um, yeah, yes, I do. I love Pokemon. I'm a sucker. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you know, but I mean, we could have a whole nother show about, I mean, the, that industry just blowing through the roof. I mean, but, uh, we can speak on that another time, but man, I thank you very much, Ted. I, I, I really appreciate your time. No worries. Thank you guys. Seriously. Thanks, Ted. And, uh, you guys can catch Ted burgers here at Jay Wakefield brewing from uh 2 PM to midnight on Saturday and or sellout actually right or whatever sellout right because you better get here in time to get a burger exactly and uh, <laughs> two to ten on uh, on Sundays so you know where to catch this guy now thanks brother thank you guys you have a good one now and that's it for this week's show I would like to thank my guests J C Tetrialt and Ted Armas for coming on and the further time my co-host Maria Cabre thank you and my producer Rocco Riggio. Thanks so much for listening. We're here each Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132. You can also find repeat episodes on Pandora Podcasts. And don't forget, people, the thirst is real.